No, nope, so I haven't been a pioneer yet. That's all cool. That's cool, 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 cool. Alrighty. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But it says here, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest or holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Just before we start, I'm going to quickly pray. So why don't you bow your heads with me. Dear Father Jesus, we just pray right now that you will help me to speak this word articulately and perfectly, Father. May the words I speak only be the words that come from you. Whatever words are from myself, may they fall into rocky ground. But the words that are from you, may they go into good soil. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Why don't you say amen, 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 amen. All right, tonight I want to talk on the subject of our identity in Jesus. Now, last week we had such a powerful word from our very own Carly Frankham. She absolutely killed it. I've said that about three times tonight, and that's because I seriously mean it. It, it's, it was all on a message on trusting on who God has created you to be and not comparing yourselves to others. Because I don't know about you, but I compare myself 24-7. Like, Instagram does not help. It's just constantly comparison. You know, there's Elijah on there with his CrossFit. And then there's other people on there traveling the world, like Beth travels. There's all sorts of things going on. But tonight, I actually want to sort of continue on that subject and discuss further about the struggles of living in a society that tells us what we are and what we aren't when all that we are is loved by Jesus Christ. This term is obviously on real love and the ideas that make up what real love is. So each week we've been trying to unpack the idea, try to make it a bit more understanding for you. But it's all been around the ideas of what is genuine, authentic love. How do, what does it look like and how do we achieve it? And how we need to focus on how much He loves us, not how much we love Him. That it's our own love that motivates Him. It's not about how much we love Him, it's about how much He loves us. And that's what real love is. That's what I spoke about in week one. And I also said, don't count the ways you love God, but count the ways He loves you. And how all 60 of the Bibles and 40 plus authors writing over the course of 1,600 years point to the same message, and that's God's love for humanity. If you ask me, that's pretty incredible. That over 1,600 years, that humanity wrote 60 books of the Bible with 40 plus people all joining in. So imagine if you wrote a diary now, you started it, and then 40 other people continued it over the course of 1,600 years, they all had the same message pointing to the one thing, and that was Jesus and his love for humanity. Then I followed this up by talking about how much life is to be loved and to love. And the order of those two phrases is intentional because you can't love until you understand what it is that is truly love. You can't, understand, you can't love others until you know you're loved yourself. And that it's time for religion to take a seat and for the kingdom of God to rise up. Because it's time that we stop judging others and actually love them first. We're called to love, not called to judge. Who hears me? Who agrees with that? Who feels like we need to stop judging people, but rather loving them first? You know, you need to love them first, ask questions later. That's what I like to say. I actually remember over a year ago, I actually proposed to my now beautiful wife. I was in the... Now, I was in the process of contemplating this question. Now, boys, you're not quite there. That's cool because we're all teens and that's cool, 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 cool. But when you get to this age, you know, you've got a girlfriend. Now she's your fiancé. You're trying to make her fiancé. And so you've got to go through the process of trying to figure out, you know, when you're going to ask the question, how you're going to ask the question. It's a pretty stressful time, I'll tell you that much. And I was in the process of contemplating this and I kept coming back to the idea that I'll do it when I'm ready. 
Does anyone feel that like with other things in life? I'll do that when I'm ready. You know, when I'm in the point of time where I can actually achieve that, where I actually can believe in myself. And I remember, especially I was thinking financially, because, you know, when you're a male, you want to be financially set, you know, got the keys to the kingdom, I can rock it with my baby girl. That's what I was thinking anyway. And I was thinking to myself, I'll wait till I'm financially ready. At the time, I had about $2,000 in my bank. That was what I was actually living off week to week. Not very much if you, once you get to the big world. And in my savings, I was like, I'm definitely not going to be ready financially anytime soon. But then I realized it really comes down to what valuables you have and not how many valuables you possess. Anyone feel me? How many valuables you have rather than how many you possess. And when I actually went back and wrote down all the reasons what was holding me back, I realized I need to stop trying to be ready and make the decision of my life to marry my wife. You feel me? Sometimes you just need to stop looking at that list of things that's holding you back and just go, you know what? Maybe I'm never going to be ready and that's cool. And I'm just going to step out right now in a leap of faith. So I did. But tonight, I actually want to point out one thing that can ruin all of this mindset and that can actually literally tear down everything we have and have believed in ourselves. It's our belief in ourselves, a belief that we can never be good enough, never be strong enough, fast enough, smart enough. You see, in this world, in this life, you'll never have enough. There will be never enough. You're n- it's not got anything to do with wealth, regardless of what social media will tell you. Interesting quote that I actually found. And there's two quotes from two famous people because I don't know about you, but I look at Instagram, Facebook, the whole lot, Twitter if you're on there, or Pinterest. I really hate Pinterest. It's so irritating. It's just like boards 24-7. And I don't know, I once installed the app just like to see what it was like. And then I was like, looked at it and went, nah, it's not for me. If you got to delete the app... The next thing I know, two days later, I've had like 24 notifications saying, there's new pins waiting for you. I'm like, no thanks, honey. I don't want pins. And then, so, but more to the point is, you look on social media and look at the world and there is so much about wealth and so much about how famous people must have it all together. Am I right? You look around, you look at the big famous stars, Taylor Swift, you look at Jim Carrey, they've all got it together. But here's a quote from two people, and one of them is actually Jim Carrey. And he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous. And do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. And then, who knows Queen, the band? It's a famous band, famous old school band. Is Eamon still here or is he gone? Is he gone? He's cleaning. Well, Queen is one of his favourite bands. I actually put this quote in for him, so I'm a bit disappointed, but that's okay. We have a podcast going, so he can listen to that. Um, But Freddie Mercury says, You have everything in the world and can still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of dollars, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Now, I don't know about you. You can be anyone in this room, but that hits pretty hard. Freddie Mercury had everything in the world. He even admits it himself. He was idolized by so many people. He had enough money to probably buy his own island and then a few more. But he says, it doesn't matter because all that they, you really need in life is a loving, ongoing relationship. No matter your wealth, no matter your ability, power, amount of friends, the relationship, the statue, the position, the academic ability, musical ability, sporting ability, just your ability in general, your mindset, your amazing diet, no matter what it is, it will never be enough and you will never feel you are enough until you have the enough, which is a loving and ongoing relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I could never be different because I was so worried about what other people thought. What other people may think of me. 
And what those people that I didn't even know most of the time, what they were thinking about me, and I was thinking, oh, I think I know what they're thinking and I don't like it and now I'm freaked out. But the thing is, I think I share or have shared the same desire to please people and be accepted like most people here. I think you can probably agree with me that you feel like that some days. That some days you walk into school and you feel like literally everyone is staring at you as you walk in. You're like, what did I do wrong? And then you start to second guess yourself. There are all those people, who s- there's also those people who seem immune from this issue and they're amazing because they don't ever think about it at any point in their lives and you go, wow, you're really incredible. You're really something. And I don't mean that sarcastically, I mean that seriously. I'm like, give me some notes, please. But the rest of us, the desire to fit in can literally be the exact thing that keeps you out of life. Do you feel me? When you're so tied up with thinking about how can I fit in, that can literally be the thing that keeps you out of whatever you're trying to fit in with. Out of who we are called to be, that is the main thing it'll pull us out of. It'll pull us away from who we are called to be. Out of where we need to be, out of moments where we were born to maximize and have an influence on, Granted, I'm sure I don't know what's cool. I will safely tell you I'm definitely not a spokesman for the coolness in the world. But in our fast-paced, constant-moving society, the moment something becomes really cool, it's immediately out of style. Like, it's like, okay, it's really cool. Now it's not cool. It's so yesterday. That's what people do. I've seen it on Instagram. I know your ways. Don't you worry. I've been watching. And it's funny because anybody who is interested in owning the moments in life... And, has, and he's interested in maximizing your life, has to be willing to forsake cool at times. Has to be willing to often, what is best and will go against what is cool. Because the thing is, what is best in life is never what's cool in life. There's a difference there. We think the cool things in life is what's best, but really the best things in life are never cool. And you go, how is that even possible? Well, here, let me break it down for you. Think about it. Most vital things in life are not cool. Being vulnerable, not cool at all. Getting help, not cool. Getting, being humble is not cool either. Being kind is sadly not cool either. Asking questions in class, definitely not cool. Asking the new kid to hang out with you is not cool. Going to church or youth is not cool. And this might seem obvious, but I know there are many potential world-changing leaders out there who can't break the cool wall. And because it seems stepping out and doing things against the grain, doing things nobody is doing or has ever done. What people fail to realize is the trendsetters, the pioneers, the inventors who were never really accepted in their time. So we seem to think like these cool people like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Abraham Lincoln, all these people who were world changers, they were pioneers in what they did. We seem to think, oh, they must have been cool 24-7. No, they were not cool in their time whatsoever. Every person who has pioneered, set it a trend or changed the way that we do life has never been cool. And it started with Jesus. He was a trendsetter from the beginning. He was changing lives and he was not cool. Not cool in society's eyes, cool in our eyes though. And this, what, I bet you any money that there is something in your heart, something deep down in your soul that you believe passionately about, that you but are hesitant to step into because of fear of what other people would say or think. Can anyone relate to this? Can you feel like you've got something in your heart which you know you want to do or you want to step out into or you want to start thinking about doing but you can't because you're worried about what other people are going to think? Here's the first key to changing and breaking this mindset. People actually don't think about you nearly as much as you think they do. And I can guarantee you this from personal experience. People never actually think about you as much as you think they do. 
most of humanity has their own dramas, their own risk, and taking worries to deal with. And for those who are left, the ones who may judge you, the ones who may criticize you or make rumors about you, badmouth you, abuse you, tell you how to tell where you are, the fact that they have time to do so proves that you don't need to care about what they're saying anyway. I learned that people who do nothing have so much time to talk about others doing much. When you find people who are enjoying life, making the most of their days, these people did not wake up and think, well, who can I impress today? No way. These people, the kind of person you want to be in your mind, the way they wake up and say, I'm going to make a difference today, some way, somehow, if people like it, they can join me. If they don't, they can watch me, but that will not affect me whatsoever. If anyone can be an advocate for doing what you seem impossible or what you think can't be done, it's me. Because you see, I come from an interesting backstory and I actually couldn't speak until I was the age of six years old. And when I say that, I mean I started kindergarten before I could speak, before I could properly speak, that is. I didn't say my first word till I was five years old. I was diagnosed with dyspraxia at a very young age, which dyspraxia is essentially a condition which means your mouth and your brain do not link up. There's essentially this wiring in your brain to your mouth which sends the words from your brain to your mouth and makes you be able to say them. But that, for people who have dyspraxia, does not exist. Or it's severely damaged. And I was one of those people. Hooray, go for me. But the nerves in which joins up that line isn't there or not performing as they should. I couldn't speak for six years. So I just made noises and learnt sign language. That's how I got about life. The thing about dyspraxia, though, is it's not curable. It's not curable of any kind. You know, you sometimes get diseases at a young age and they get cured along the line. Dyspraxia isn't one of those. You can't get cured. It's just something you have to stick with for a long time. That's why when doctors are going through the process of diagnosing you, they tell your parents, oh, be prepared for the long-term circumstances. And it's funny because it affects more than just your speaking. It affects your gross motor skills, ability to learn things. It affects multiple parts of your life. Now, I was blessed enough I learned how to speak and actually grew past that. As I grew older, my ability to communicate in speaking got better. But I couldn't publicly speak now, not because I didn't want to, but because I physically couldn't. I once got up to do a class prezo. I think I was in like the year six or seven. And I opened my mouth, but nothing came out. I was literally standing there with the slideshow behind me. And I, was, I knew what I wanted to say. It was there. I had all the words written down in my head. I was all ready to communicate. I even had them on a piece of paper. But every time I opened my mouth, just nothing came out. Just no words, no nothing. It is the weirdest and strangest thing that can ever happen to someone. When you know you want to say something, but you actually physically can't. Now, most kids grow up and they actually can't shut up. And that's just, you know, the parents wish they could. But I actually literally could shut up and I wished I couldn't. Because all I wanted to do was talk like a normal kid. Be one of the normal kids. But I couldn't. Because I couldn't speak and I couldn't even communicate how I felt. And so there I was, looked like a glass clown. Of course, I failed the assignment. The teacher didn't care. From there, I got a doctor's certificate that said I literally couldn't do public speaking. It was literally a piece of paper that said, this guy cannot publicly speak medically. And so there I was days I was literally didn't want to live my life anymore. I'm being honest. I did not want to live my life anymore. I felt like a failure, a screw-up. Didn't want to be any more of a waste of space. But then one day, I flicked through the Bible... And I literally was doing it as like a Hail Mary. Has anyone felt those moments in life where it's like, well, I'll just do it because there's nothing else to do. So I flicked through the Bible. Of course, I was avoiding assignments. And I found a verse in Genesis that says, We are made in His image. 
Then a verse in Ephesians which says, We are his masterpiece in his eyes. Fast forward, and then a few, lays late, a few years later, I should say, I got awarded house captain. Who has house captains at their school? Is, it, is that still the thing? Cool. I got awarded house captain for three years in a row. I was the longest serving house captain at the school. I captained sport teams, led assemblies, got top ranked in speaking assignments. I became a vice captain in my final year of school. I was actually known for my final years of school for speaking and my communication ability. I initially had kids asking me how to present assignments, how to actually get up in front of class, because I guarantee you every time I got up, I was not prepared. It was not like now. I would literally speak off the cuff. I'd make up everything I could think of. I led assemblies that way. Do not recommend it. But <laughs> people saw the raw ability that God had given me. And it's funny because you fast forward to this day and here I am at the front with you preaching as your youth pastor. Ask any medical professional and that just doesn't happen. That's just not possible. Does it still affect me some days? Yeah. But do I let it identify identify me? Sorry, No. My identity is found in Jesus and the one who created me and saved me. And he says, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made in his masterpiece and made in his image. And you better be damn sure I'm going to believe it and live in it and wear that title. And I want to show you the piece of scripture which actually changed my mindset completely. It literally changed my life. I can say that confidently. If you have your Bibles with you, can you turn to Genesis? It's pretty easy to find at the start. Genesis 1, verse 26. And here, we're very much in the middle of creation. Who knows the story of creation? You know, God made the heavens, He made the earth, He made the water, He made the land. Here, we're fast-forwarding up to the section where God says, Then God said, Let us make human beings, us in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and to 11. Uh, there was, this is just after the bit, if you know the full story, you know how there's the Garden of Eden, right? How everyone's in the garden, it's all beautiful. And, then G- and God says that one command, you know, do not eat from that tree, but you can eat from any other tree. We're fast forward to the section where, of course, they've eaten from the tree. Classic human beings, classic us. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. Oh, man, haven't we been in that part of life where we look in the fridge and, man, that looked beautiful and delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it could give her. I could say that's me with chocolate cake, so I'm really relating right now. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too because he's a smart man. Listen to your wife. At the moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they scurried fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then Lord... And the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. This is the key part. Verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? The thing that stands out to me in this verse is that we were created in God's image. God created us by looking at himself. God's image, the creator who created us. Us to be like him, how incredible when you think about it. The creator created us to be like him. And then, once sin came into our lives, into the picture, we realized our shame, in other words, we realized our failures, our insecurities, our problems, everything that was properly wrong with us, we started to realize. And God says, who told you you were naked? 
In other words, who told you to be ashamed? Who told you to be fearful? Who told you to be worried? Who told you to be full of anxiety? Who told you to feel ashamed when you're in front of people? Who told you to worry what other people are thinking? Who told you to feel like a failure? Who told you that? Because I love you and I adore you and that should all be that matters to you. We need to have a mind shift from ourselves and focus on Jesus and stop looking at our insecurities and what we can't do rather see what Jesus can do through us. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot I can't do in this life. But I'm not going to focus on that because I know Jesus is developing me still. He's still working on me. I'm, an, I'm pretty much a piece of art which hasn't been finished. I don't know about you, but yeah, the art looks pretty when it's finished. But it's pretty cool watching it get finished as well. And that's where we're at. Because you can change the world, and I don't say that lightly, but Jesus can use any and all of you to be world changers. you just got to let him. I'm not saying we need to be up ourselves either, you know, have that self-confidence where you literally take selfies every day. I'm not saying let's adopt Jesus' love and be whatever we want to be because that's all we need. No, I'm saying let's adopt Jesus' love as a vote of confidence. Let's use his confidence in us as our confidence in ourselves. I'm perfect, but I'm whole. There's a difference. We can't be perfect, but we can be whole. How you might ask, well, wholeness is when you accept the fact that you are loved. When you accept that Jesus' love, real love, is all that you need in life. Brokenness reflects on you trying to see yourself in other people's opinions, whereas wholeness is accepting yourself. We too often are hearing what others say about us and making that what we think about ourselves. But when we need to only really think about is what he says about us. Now, last time I spoke, I gave you a handout that said, Your Identity in Jesus. And tonight I want to bring back to that idea of reminding yourself of what actually God says about you, not what others say about you. I picked some verses out just to sort of give you a head start. It says, you are his own special possession. That's in 1 Peter and Jeronomy as well. You are chosen, handpicked by the God who created the universe. That's in 1 Peter, Jeremiah and Ephesians. You are treasured. You are irreplaceable. You are loved beyond compare. You are worth dying for. You are forgiven. You are his child. You are secured for all of eternity. You are set free. You are precious to him. You are set apart. We need to start living in our identity in Jesus rather than our identity in others. That is my point tonight. That we need to start living in that identity in Jesus rather than our identity in others. That's what these verses are all about. If you, if you ever want the list of them, you come see me afterwards. I'll hit you up. It's all good. For too many of us, we have lived worrying about people's opinions, ideas, and thought about ourselves and letting that hold us back from what we really love and what we really want to do in life. The only opinion or idea or thought that you need to hear and listen is this. Jesus loves you, you are loved, and you will never be alone. Right now we are going to worship for a bit. And I just want to encourage you in this time to make room and invite Jesus in. Don't worry about who's to your left or who's to your right. Just focus on Him and worship Him with all that you've got. After all He gave, after all He was to save you. And as I always encourage you, if you want prayer for anything, once you fill out a prayer request, which the folder's over here, which I'm just going to sneakily grab. Fill out a prayer request and pop it in this folder and we'll pray for it. Because I know sometimes when you want prayer, it can be a bit daunting going out the front and asking for it because you feel like you're on show. But that's why here at our city we've made it a bit more private for you so you can fill out the request. It doesn't even have to have your name on it. But we'll pray for it and we'll believe that God can move mighty mountains through our faith. But... 
I just want to especially encourage you, if you haven't actually taken the time to give your heart to Jesus, or maybe you have and this would be your thousandth time, or you just want to reconfirm that you're definitely going to heaven, can I encourage you to come see us up the back whilst we're worshipping? And we'd love to pray with you. But right now, why don't we all stand up from our chairs. Come on, take a stand. You've been sitting for ages, guys. Come on. Come on. Get some fitness in you. And right now, I'm just going to pray before we worship. Our band is just going to make their way up the front. All right, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Dear Jesus, I just thank you for each and every person who is here tonight. I thank you for how much you love them, how much you adore them. And I pray that you will help us to focus not on ourselves and what those around us say, but on you and you, you Jesus, alone. That we can remember always we are who you say we are, and that is loved. May you be with us, for us, and bless us as we go about our weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.